Welcome to Stock in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your co-host, Eitan, and I'm joined, as always, by Carl. Carl, can you believe that this is officially the third calendar year that Stock in Development has existed? <laughs> I thought you were going to say that COVID has existed. I guess uh, we're oh. indelibly entwined with that disease yeah. we're like nine months younger than covid but like we're 2020 we're born summer 2020 now we're in the winter of 2022 hey that's one good thing that came out of covid our podcast and a i was gonna say a general literacy around proper medical techniques and hygiene but i Ooh. don't know if we actually got there as a society but some of us did <laughs> not exactly but I, I say that also for those three years because I, I just realized, you know how in the first five minutes of every episode we take listeners to like what it is to produce, quote unquote, if you could call what we do, is a, the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I realized that when we check our levels, is this, I don't know if this is the first time you do it or this is the first time that I catch you do it. You test your level by saying the intro to the podcast. Was I not muted? You were muted, but I read your list. But you could tell. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he's saying like, and I'm Carl, and I'm joined by always by a time version. I was like, oh, he's saying the intro. Do you always do that? Or is that a new year, new Carl type of thing? I pretty much always do that. Like, it's just something easy to roll off the tongue. And it sounds like the podcast to me. And I have my radio voice on. And hopefully <laughs> both of us have our radio voices on today because we both have good mic setups, better mic setups than we've ever had. We both have boom arms now. So look out world. We're not going to sound like shit anymore. Oh, yeah, exactly. This is actually New Year, new new co-host. We have also the same mic, thanks to your research. Thank you so much. So we hopefully now sound as if we were on the same place, which still hasn't yeah. happened. Speaking of the three calendar years, we still haven't <laughs> recorded one from the same location. But still, we can we can hope. Yeah, we've seen each other, what, four times last year? Three times last year? Something like that yeah. during our co-hosting as a co-host couple. And each time we're like, eh, no, nah, I'd rather just hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I think we we didn't see each other for a year, I think, until your wedding. And right. then since your wedding, we've seen each other a couple of times, which is, which is great. Um, so we will have, for listeners, we'll have over the next couple of weeks some more structured, kind of looking back at 2020, 2021, some of our favorite things that happened, and also looking forward to 2022. We were just talking about this, not only about movies and TV shows, but also business trends and predictions and things that we, we just find interesting that we want to share with you. Today is going to be a little bit more kind of relaxy, how we did over the break, what we watched, what we liked. I'm also, I took, I finally, I, I don't know if I said it a couple of weeks ago, but I, I'm rereading the favorite book of the podcast, Disney War. So I want to share with you some of the relearnings that I had and, and get your reaction, if that sounds okay. Um, when was the last time you read it? College. So at this point, probably eight years ago. Oh, okay. So it's also worth. No. Okay, I'll shoot, I'll shoot you things and I'll see your, your reaction. Great. Before we do that, how was your break? What did you watch... Uh, where were you? Tell us. Yeah, I was at home in, well, at my family's home in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. So it was good. Uh, 
the two weeks there, did not watch much of anything with them. My parents don't watch a ton of movies and certainly don't watch a ton of movies in the theater and certainly don't right now. So did not make it to the theater once when we were there. Alex and I were experiencing great FOMO and anxiety about missing certain things, but they were here when we got back, so it's all good. Uh, overall, I mean, lots of Christmas movies. You want? Mm. I mean, I watched Elf, which the more I watch Elf, the more I'm convinced that there's like an hour of perfection in there between Will Ferrell's performance and honestly, John Favreau's direction is really crucial to selling a lot of the comedy. So, I mean, it, it's the beginning and end aren't the greatest, but that middle hour is just magic. So, always thrilled to watch that again. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think we need to have an episode of Christmas movies where you share them with me. Because I haven't, you know, it's, it's not my thing. I, mean, I didn't grow up with what? Santa. I was talking with someone the other day. I was like, hey, did you get your gift from the gift exchange? And they're like, from the Secret Santa? I'm like, I don't believe in Santa, so from the white elephant. <laughs> but yeah, curious too. That's a ranking that I don't think you've shared with me. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe in Santa either, but... I did at one point. At one point, life. exactly, exactly. Yes, that's the difference. <laughs> I've never believed in Santa. Sure. I mean, are there? What Hanukkah movies are there? I know there's Eight Crazy Nights, but beyond that, are there any major Hanukkah movies? Not that come to mind. Like I'm sure there are like moments, you know, the Hanukkah Armadillo from Friends, one that comes to mind very quickly. And I'm sure other pieces of media have like a character that celebrates Hanukkah. I don't know if there is one that mm-hmm. is like the central theme. I'm sure there is one, and my Jewish listeners are going to kill me, but I don't know. <laughs> so, like, I, I also wish we could have the conversation of if Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. I'm also not invested at all in that conversation, so no thoughts, no opinions. All right, well, we're committing to this. This July, we will do a Hanukkah movie episode, so look out for that. Seven months from now. Yeah. I mean, well, actually, I guess it's Christmas in July and it's usually like around 4th of July. So we can do Hanukkah in June. Got it. That's funny. Christmas in July. Got it. (laughs) It also maybe just felt like you were like, we want to give our Southern Hemisphere listeners the feel of like, I always wonder, right? They watch the Santa movies or the Winter Wonderlands and Snow and it's plain summer, scorching hot. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to get into the, the feeling. Must be interesting. It must be. I've never lived in... I've never been to the Southern Hemisphere, much less lived in it, so... Yeah. Yeah. I Beyond that, I did watch... I don't know. I saw Licorice Pizza. Saw um, mm. Don't Look Up. Shocker to those invested in how much I'm a defender of the movie Vice. I liked Don't Look Up. So, come at me. I haven't watched it yet, but I do think it's worth, before moving to the rest of the things you've seen and what I've seen, the the conversations happening in Twitter, which is, of course, its own bubble. But, you know, there is these conversations about, oh, if you didn't like it, it's because you don't agree with the message that we're not doing it. Oh, yeah, that is... Change, which is in, <laughs> insane, first, first off. I like yeah. the ones that is like, oh, you didn't like Armageddon? You must be on the side of the, of the asteroid. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to, to watch it. I'm I'm interested. I think I've shared here. I have a a background in energy and renewable energy. Mm-hmm. It's some of the st- some stuff that I studied in 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 uh, at uh, when we were at Stanford. Um, 
Curious, yeah. How did that land to you? Is it just one of those things that is like, yeah, of course, I can first of all differentiate between the message and if I like the movie, and then it's just you like yeah. McKay. Yeah, so quick note on that. I saw West Side Story again last night with uh, past guest Sam Parker, friend of the show. Oh, nice. And he said that he did the not cheater, finish Don't Look the Up. The Wordle cheater. <laughs> the we, we, Wordle we, cheater, yes. Yeah. Okay, we cool. believe he cheated at Wordle today, which if you're not playing Wordle, everyone started playing Wordle this week, so start playing Wordle. W-O-R-R-D-L-E. Anyway, Start playing be- the, before the trend passes next week. <laughs> the Wordle cheater today, he, or yesterday, he said that he didn't finish Don't Look Up, and part of it was just he was so perturbed by the science presented in it, which for me, I'm able to like be like, okay, take off the science hat, watch it as a parable, works great as a parable. The science is like enough there to get there, but to him... Like there's a there's a shot very early on where the the telescope that finds the comet, mm-hmm. it's sh- there's a shot of it shooting a laser out of the telescope. It's like that's not how telescope works. At least that's not how they work in the visible light spectrum. So, right. yeah. But beyond that, yeah, the the science neither here nor there is not necessarily sound. But overall. If people are annoyed by Adam McKay's filmmaking style, they will be annoyed here. It is a genuinely moving film in the last 20 minutes or so. Found it, like, very cathartic and moving, which I did not expect to get out of it. Then the, the two other criticisms of it are, one, it's it's a slow movie. It moves mm-hmm. at kind of a glacial pace early on. But to me, that just builds up the dread of this thing should be not moving at a glacial pace because the Earth is about to be destroyed by a comet. Right. And I I think overall my main problem with the film, which, again, I found it enjoyable. I'm okay with it. I understand where McKay is as a filmmaker and politically based on his films. But McKay seems to think that it's a... I think McKay thinks he's politically radical when he is very much like Hollywood center-left establishment. And the film presents Meryl Streep and her administration as... Trumpian, at least like grassroots Sarah Palin esque Republican, mm-hmm. and with that, I have a hard time believing that a lot of the stuff that happens in the film wouldn't happen under any political administration. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what really grades people is mm, he's he he's like setting up a straw man and then hitting it. But overall, our entire political establishment is this flawed. So he doesn't go quite there. I think it would be stronger if he did. But overall, I enjoyed it. I think it's a good message. And overall, if you you can still think it's a good message and hate the film, go for it. That's fine. Got it. Yeah, I, I really want to watch it. I do wonder exactly to your point about the the politics and the way the administration is portrayed. I was talking about it with my brother in Mexico, and there is a there was like we started talking about how does it feel U.S. centric? I don't mean that in a way of like yeah, a lot of movies are U.S. centric because they're in the U.S., but it's also one of those things that just the details of the politics you kind of need to understand a little bit or identify like the types of things that you said like oh yeah, I can relate mm-hmm. Meryl Streep's character to these other you know, caricatures caricatures or prototypes of people. And do you think like that's something that maybe for someone outside 
of the country, or even someone. Well, I've been here now long enough that I and care about it that I'm, I'm learning about it. Yeah, curious if even. It's absolutely U.S. centric, and that's another flaw of the film is that it doesn't really even bring up the perspective of other countries or mention the response of other countries until the last act. Mm. So it, yeah, I I think it is very blinders on a parable about modern America, and to that end, the the thing I kept thinking about while watching it was the three-body problem, which similarly is like, how would we sociopolitically respond to the existential threat of annihilation? That's a much longer time horizon than this film, but is a far superior look in every way, including scientifically. But I I think it really captures the holistic view of what would happen, whereas this is, it's a parable about modern America. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I was going to ask about that part of if it also gets into the philosophical side of the theory problem, right? It's like that philosophical thing of like, yeah, it's very easy to connect the dots the way he explains it of, yeah, if nothing matters and we're going to get destroyed, then philosophically we understand that the second somebody knows that we exist, there are two likely reactions right. and then we can prove. Is that also something that happens here? Or this is more about, again, politics, science... It's politics. And I think with the three-body problem, the, the real strength of the three-body problem, which if those of you don't know the three-body three problem, TLDR, scientist in China discovers a it discovers extraterrestrial life because she is sent a signal by a pacifist from another planet saying, do not respond to this message or we will find you and we will kill you. Mm-hmm. And she is so disillusioned by the Chinese state that she responds dooming humanity. And then based on the distance that this planet is away from earth, they, everyone knows that there's like what 400 years until the actual annihilation occurs. And I think that's a much more prescient and interesting par- like parallel to climate change, which this film could be a, parallel for climate change or name an issue because climate change is something that we will see the effects of in our lifetime. Absolutely. We already are seeing the effects of it in our lifetime, but you and I are not going to statistically die because of climate change. Right. It's something for a a later generation. And I think that makes it more powerful with the three body problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I also thought about that because I started watching foundation Mm -hmm. on Apple TV Isaac yep. Asimov is one of those things that I'm ashamed of that was kind of a hole in my childhood that I never read it, especially because I'm in sci-fi. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I don't know the story of Foundation. I just started reading a little bit about it because I'm two episodes in. And it looks like there is a slight connection to that. The TLDR of how it starts is that there is this... He's a mathematician, and he builds basically mm-hmm. this, it's in the future, is this empire that spans the whole galaxy and he lives in the capital city and he creates this um, algorithm that can predict the actions of uh, masses of people. Not individual people, but based on the inputs of like what is happening and tensions and characteristics of the world at different factions, it predicts what is likely to happen. So he predicts that the, the empire is going to fall in between, I don't remember, uh, 300 and 500 years. 
Yep. And that the fall, like the chaos, is going to last 30,000 years. And he says, while there is something to change these 300 to 1,000, it's going to fall, no matter what. But yep. the actions that we take today can actually impact, we could shorten those 30,000 years all the way to 1,000. That's actually the, the thing that we can move. And it also talks into very interesting, like, if, if we come to this realization and there are some different actions that you can take, and... I, it's going to be interesting to to your point about the actions of climate change. These are way of a tangent, right? The ocean is rising. There's going to be a moment that is like, well, it rose so much that Florida is gone. And we need to come to the realization and take actions of like, yeah, Florida is gone. Then what are the things that we can do, both in terms to protect, but also try to check it, which is fascinating philosophically, because not only philosophically, that's maybe the, right, the wrong word, but just looking into how reactions or how we would react. And that's what I love about sci-fi, mm -hmm. right? They, they for sure. theoretically make up these things, but some, sometimes it's, it's the way we think about what we would do. It's the way we develop our thinking of, this is probably how things would we would react. And yeah, yeah, these three pieces of art seem to be very connected. I mean, the one of the most important hours of my life was when I, I probably mentioned it on the show before, but I saw Michael Chabon speak when I was in college. Oh, I so the, the author. So. Okay, yeah. So author of uh, Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which is fantastic. That is a great book with two Jewish protagonists, by the way. Have you read it? Oh, Hanukkah? No. How is it called? It's The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. It is sent... In the, I don't know, ages of comics, golden age, silver age, like early, like 30s, like early comics. And it's an alternate history where these two cousins create a comic book that's a successful superhero franchise at the time. That's not Superman or Batman, but very much of the ilk and those exist. And it's about Jewish identity, and one of the cousins is gay, so it's about being gay in the 30s. And there's just a lot of stuff wrapped up in this amazing book. So I had the chance to see him speak. He, I mean, he's written a lot of stuff, and, and he's also a, a screenwriter as well. He wrote Spider-Man 2, which is objectively cool. one of the best superhero films ever. He is the showrunner of uh, Star Trek Picard and wrote on Discovery. But he's primarily more known as an author. He's a fascinating writer. But I, I heard him speak, and he actually came to Norman, Oklahoma, to speak about uh, the library system brought him in to speak about the Norman Book of the Year, which was uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's Wizards of Earthsea, the famous mm. important fantasy book, which I have not read. I got a free copy from this. Haven't read it. Fantasy is not really my thing, but his talk was about how genre fiction, especially sci-fi and fantasy, what's magical about them is they get to tell kind of the most human stories, the biggest stories, the most philosophical stories, because the magic of creating an entire universe from whole cloth is that you can strip away everything except for the single elements that you want to focus on. So you can mm -hmm. construct a society where it's like only xenophobic or <laughs> only obsessed with the annihilation of a species. Of course, stuff like the three-body problem takes it a lot further and really 
considers a lot of elements. It's not so maniacally focused. But that's what's magical about genre fiction is that you can strip away and also augment only the stuff that matters. It's really cool. And just I think about that all the time when I'm approaching stuff like this. Yeah. That's very cool. I added to my list. Uh, trivia. He's written two screenplays. One is Spider-Man 2. What is the other? Is it sci-fi? Yes. Uh, more fantasy? Um, no, sci-fi, sci-fi, sci-fi. We've talked hint. about it. We've talked about it many times on the podcast. Most notably with, uh, I think, with Sam. Is it a verb? It's not a bird. It's a It's bird adjacent. That's I think very close. Okay, bird adjacent. So it's a Mission Impossible. No. So it's not. Think adjacent Pixar wise. Oh. Other directors in Pixar. I didn't know you wrote a Pixar screenplay. It's not a it's Pixar. Not Wally. Not, that's a thing. That's a thing. It's not a Pixar movie, but it's a Pixar director. You got this. Tip of your tongue. John Carter. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Of course you would latch on to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Oh well, that's that's very interesting. Um, how did we get here? Don't look. Oh, up. the things that you watched. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the things that you watched. This tends to happen to us a lot. Uh, anything else that you watched? Have you watched Matrix? Not yet. I haven't. Have you? I don't. No. I, and I'm not going to the theaters, I think, with Omicron for a bit. So I'll, I'll catch it in HBO Max before it leaves. Yeah. The, we are, Alex and I are going to see three movies this week. We're seeing Red Rocket tomorrow. And we will nice. see Matrix and probably Tragedy of Macbeth this weekend. Oh, yeah. It's on theaters. Yeah. It's, it's come out, it comes out in Apple TV like two weeks from now, I think. Yeah. It's an Apple TV release, which seems like Apple's committed to a f at least a indie-wide release. Like, you're hitting up at least a handful of theaters and major metros. As opposed to Netflix, where it's a crapshoot of what you get to see or name something else. But it's something that we both really want to see. We both really want to see in a theater because I don't know, it seems something that's easier to focus on and is looks beautiful. I'm also... I respect the hell out of Shakespeare. Who doesn't? He's like the most important dramatist ever, right? But pure uncut Shakespeare, not really for me. So yeah. seeing it in the theater will help me focus. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it looks it looks great. Um, okay, why did I watch? I think the last time we talked, we talked that I had watched Power of the Dog. So I rewatched Shape of Water for the first time in a long time. Ooh. Still great. Still great. No. I rewatched during, I guess during Christmas, we watched uh, The Holiday. Technically a Christmas movie? Technically a Christmas movie. Kate, Win Kate, Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz is so over the top in this movie. Uh, Kate Winslet's pretty over the top, too. Yeah, but Cameron Diaz is like bad, I think. It's still, it's still, it's still very fun. Yeah. I hadn't watched it in like 10 years at least. I, I can't remember. It's Cameron Diaz who does has the dance sequence to Mr. Brightside, right? Or is that yes? Winslet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, that is Cameron Diaz. Yep, yep. That is that is the only really cringy moment of the movie. I quite like the movie, but that is a bit much. 
I would say her first scene when she she fights the ex-boyfriend for like 10 minutes and she was like, Ur! like very caricature, Karu, cat, I'm having trouble with words today. Like she's a caricature and doing like very weird movements. Mm-hmm. I'm angry. I'm going to show you with my arms that I'm angry. Um, But very fun. Then on a bus, I watched the first three quarters of Focus. Will Smith, Margot Robbie. The Margot Robbie thing, yeah. Wow. In Spanish, in the bus, only the first 80%, because when I, three quarters, because when we got into the bus, I told Ariella, every time in these buses, they're going to play a movie that is exactly 20 minutes longer than the bus ride. Just see it happen. So, literally, means the last 20 minutes. Then, ah, oh, this was the worst, the one that hurt me the most. On the way back, we had a short flight and then a long flight. And in the short flight, I saw that they had both No Time to Die and Venom. And I was like, No Time to Die, I want to watch it in something larger. But let's just watch Venom. Mm-hmm. Let there be carnage. Perfect. On a plane, I have time to die. We get into the next plane. And it was the 1st of January. And they hadn't updated the second plane to the new movies. So they didn't <sighs> have either Venom or No Time to Die. So I ended up watching... You know, the most rewatchable movie ever. Still great. Uh, Ocean's Eleven. Had a lot of fun. But I was excited to take, kind of, tick Venom off my list, which uh, unfortunately didn't happen. When you said most most watchable movie of all time, Ocean's Eleven, there. I thought you meant Catch Me If You Can, which is, I think, in the same genre of, like, well, like, too well made for what it is. But that makes it great. But it's also just like so easy to just turn on and zone out for two hours. It's just so great. Like, yeah. And, and we've talked about it. And I think 12, 12 fights it off. And sometimes it's higher than 11 for me. I think it's because the peaks are higher. But if I'm in a flight, it's just easier to put 11. I feel like the average scene is just Absolutely. higher. It is super, super good. Um, And Yente, yeah, once I'm gone, I'm starting the foundation. Is what I'm getting into. Still not cool. sure if I love it. Weird, it feels weird acting. That seems to be the general consensus on it. I want to stay on this, but also, honestly, we're not going to get to Disney War. Disney War deserves more than a few minutes, and we have a time <laughs> constraint tonight, so this is going to be a shorter episode. But let's go back to Foundation. I've yeah. heard, I've heard that that it's like, obviously, it's an important, great story. It's a yeah. high-budget adaptation. Lee Pace is great, from what I understand. Would love to hear if you agree with that, and also just hear more about your, your take. So, I'm only two episodes in. I actually don't know if Lee Pace is great. Ooh, okay. Like, he's very much its character. I don't know if his character conveys to me what Lee Pace he thinks he's conveying. Like, I think he Fair. thinks he makes okay. it... I th- it comes across as if he thinks he's coming across as, like, very malicious and perverse, but also, like, thoughtful leader that actually questions things. And it just comes as a not very smart leader that wants to come across as that. So I, I'm not sure. And that's because I haven't read the book. I don't know if that's actually the case. Or if he's actually this like very perverse emperor that actually is just like, eh. Yeah. And it's also Foundation has this weird thing where there is three... Have you heard about this? There is three emperors, and the three emperors are all clones of the same emperor. 
So the old uh, okay, the old right. clone is called uh, um, Dusk. Him, Lipes, he's like the middle aged one. He's called Day, and then the young one is called Dawn. She thinks cute. Dawn, Day, and Dusk. So he's like because he's the middle one. He's like the major, and he's like the patriarch of the three. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. There is just some scenes. There is some, almost some takes. I'll, I'll I'll look for some of like literally screens that if I show you the screen, you're gonna be like, this looks like a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. In terms of like the way the character is looking and the the way the shot is framed and yeah, there is no. I don't know. I I haven't really put into words exactly what it is that it's still not catching me because the story is interesting it's just i don't know what it is i'll I'll get back to you as i continue watching that actually dovetails with something i was thinking about the entire time last night with west side story which Mm. is i've never really seen a movie that looks like west side story it's very strange looking like it's compellingly strange and i think it's beautiful but it's just everything is in focus i don't think it was shot digitally i i think it's shot on film but like there's so much color but it's very much there's this whole like there's this whole theory that christopher nolan ruined movies with uh with like the batman movies where everything is like dark and either blue or orange and then you get to like mad max or blade runner 2049 where everything is literally just blue or orange (laughs) and Everything in West Side Story has very much like a blue filter with all these incredibly beautiful high contrast colors popping through. And it's just so honestly surreal to look at. I just was very struck by it last night on the second watch. Let me know if this makes sense. I haven't rewatched it, but I was talking... Who was I talking with? Maybe also with my brother or my mom. I was telling her to watch it. And the way I explained it was... It looks as if you're watching a movie that was shot in black and white that then color got added to. And I didn't mean it in a way that, of course, the set design and the, uh, you know, the... Right. That thing is very good. But it's also like there is like... There is like this layer of... Yeah, I don't know what it is. I guess you put it in better technical terms of like focus and the types of colors that they chose. But yeah, there is like something that it's... It still looks... It looks old quote-unquote while being completely focused and modern and detailed and high definition but there is yeah i don't know yeah it's it is bizarre how modern it looks despite also feeling old i think that black and white thing is actually a really good comparison because it is think about black and white is it is just so it's just so high contrast that it doesn't feel real, but in black and white, it doesn't matter because black and white doesn't look real anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that makes it, it seems to continue. It hasn't. I mean, of course, it's not the chatter online is not as much as at the beginning, but I feel like it's it's maintained in our Twitter bubbles, people gushing about it in general. Yeah. Not only about the yeah. way that it looks. Did you see the, the picture? Maybe I saw it because you liked it, where Spielberg, he staged the the gym scene in like a little I don't know how to call it in English a maqueta like he sets a model with like oh, yeah. little humans and he's like holding a camera and finding <laughs> how to put something with like 
someone in the back, and then there is a shot of him like doing the same for like I don't even remember for Indiana Jones or I don't know something else. I I listened to the the DGA podcast, Directors Guild of America, where they they always get one director to interview another director about a movie that just came out. So in this case, Damien Giselle interviewed Steven Spielberg after a screening of West Side Story for DGA members in LA, and which is a great pairing. And it's fascinating because Spielberg is honest that it's one of the hardest things he's ever directed because it's just so much more technical than he ever realized directing a musical. And he talked about how from day one, he's at choreography rehearsals and he just realized I cannot possibly wait until the day i'm on the set to figure this out and he just started pulling out his iphone and running through all the dancers as they were dancing to try and figure out like how do i block this how do i shoot this what do i possibly do so he ended up having like a storyboard of the thing on his iphone just so he could like communicate to people what they needed to do but apparently it was very difficult for him to completely realize in his brain yeah no that's great yeah, I wish I, I need to check. I might need to find a way to go to these screenings at like Saturday at 10 a.m. and without anyone there, just like you and I went to watch West Side Story. Because I really want to watch Matrix in the big screen. I agree with uh, Macbeth. Um, there were a couple of others. Red Rocket, I would love to watch it also in the big screen. Not that Florida Project, for example, is not a great rewatch on a TV, but yeah. it's still like... Yeah... Yeah, we are, I think we're going to the last screening in San Francisco proper tomorrow night. So the days are limited for Red Rocket just because other things are making money and we're holding well. But yeah. Yeah, Spider-Man. I would love... (laughs) For the record, Carl rolled his eyes. I rolled my eyes. I still want to see it. I haven't made the time to see it. I have nothing against it. But also, a side note, I would love, especially in other parts of the country, would love to know how many cases Spider-Man is directly responsible for. Brand, <laughs> <laughs> stop saying it was caused by South Africa. It was caused by Spider-Man. Yeah, he's not so friendly or neighborhood anymore. There you go. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, unfortunately, a little bit time constrained today. Do you have an AUA? Do you have a New Year's resolution? I have a couple of New Year's resolution. I have one that is very broad that is like almost going back to the philosophical episode we had like three weeks ago about like happiness. Sitting down and being like, what do I want to do that would make mm-hmm. me happy? But I think the one most relevant to this is that I want to get back into like heavy reading. Like I want to, I would love to, you know, there's people that read like 200 books a year. That's not going to be me. But I would love to read you know, 25 to a month. That's, you know, kind of like, and, and be better. Yeah. I, I love nonfiction, but I've skewed way too much into nonfiction. So I want to get back into like maybe one and one. Um, Disney World, I want to read the one that it's on my list. I ordered it. I'm picking it up on the weekend. It's, oh man, I'm forgetting the name. The one that is similar to Disney World, but about HBO. <sighs> I'm, I'm, I cannot I'm, remember. Tinderbox. Tinderbox. Yes. Uh, 
Tinderbox, uh, HBO Ruthless Pursuit of New Frontiers by, by James Andrew Miller. That's a great one. And honestly, I, I need, I've been directionally trying to do that as well. I'm the same way where there's so much I want to learn about the world that it feels like I need to be reading nonfiction all the time. But the problem is when I, like, I just went over to my nightstand and picked up the two books sitting over it. And like, these are the two books I have. It's a, the Bob Fosse memoir by Sam Wasson and, uh, and the band played on, which is a like epic about the AIDS pandemic. It's like both of these are six, seven hundred page books about very. I was going to say like nine hundred. They look. I know. Ooh. So like, like maybe I shouldn't be reading books this large if I want to actually be reading as much. You know. Yeah. <laughs> if you, I mean, that's the thing. There is almost like a pairing. I'm still deciding if I want to do one nonfiction, one fiction, and read both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or power through one and power through the other. I feel like I'm gonna I might go on a binge of this James Miller. He also has a book about ESPN that is very famous. He has one about CAA and our friend Michael Ovitz. Mm-hmm. And he has one about uh, Saturday Night Live. Yes, I've heard specifically. Yeah. I've heard the SNL one is a or the CAA one is especially great. The SNL one I think is probably the most famous one. Yeah, I I, I could that makes sense. But yeah, I'll, I'll start with HBO just because that's the... I think it came out like last month. So it's supposed to be good. Um, what about you? Any... Yeah, I mean, nothing really too special. For me, it's more like classic health related. Like, let's get our physical, mental, and financial health all back to where they were pre-pandemic. So that's where I'm at. Nothing special, and the good news is I started all these resolutions in November or so, so I'm already on the way, so it's great. Nice. That's also powerful and simple. There is power in simplicity. Absolutely. I don't know. It's been a it's been a long week, first week back at work, and we are, like, this is probably the least amount of discussion we've ever done before launching into an episode, so you know what? My AUA is not an AUA. It's just a request that we actually do what we wanted. We said we were going to do at the top of this episode. I think it'd be really fun to kind of do some deep dives over the next few weeks of, okay, what are business trends we saw last year and coming up? What are movie trends we saw last year and coming up? I think it'd be fun to do that. A good way to kick off the year and bemoan things like how much I didn't like In the Heights. We could also... (laughs) I think we should both task ourselves with listening back to last year's predictions. Let's do that. Oh, yeah. That's it's a, not that's an a AUA. Point. It's a homework assignment. That's good. And also, you did have an AUA. You asked me for my New Year's resolutions. I'm the one that didn't have one. But oh, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, you asked me for a second one, and I, I'm, I'm tapped out. So <laughs> That sounds great. And uh, on that note, nice to see you again. Happy 22 to you. Happy 22 to all the listeners. And we'll we'll talk to you next week. Stay safe and keep listening. Bye, guys. Bye.